0: Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of Staff Sergeant Charles Morris. Morris was a squad leader serving with Alpha Company, part of the 2nd Battalion, 503rd Infantry Regiment, rolled up under the 173rd Airborne Brigade. The time period we're going to talk about is in the very early days of the Vietnam War in June of 1966. So to back it up a little bit and talk Vietnam at a high level, we have a civil war taking place between North and South Vietnam. North Vietnam is backed by the communist... leading communist forces in, in the world at time, the Soviet Union and China, and, and to a degree at times, North Korea. South Vietnam is backed by Western-leaning democracies, the United States, Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand, a lot of other, um, you know, co- the, the standard coalition there, right? The standard Western democracy coalition. And folks have been involved in Vietnam for some time because of the concern of the domino theory that was prevalent at this point in the cold war, which really meant that let's look at the United States actually, as an example, the idea being that if Illinois was a communist state, that Indiana and Wisconsin are at risk of becoming communist because they're right up against it. And you got to stop it in Illinois or else if Indiana falls, the next thing, you know, Ohio can fall and Michigan can fall and it can spread. So, to stop this spread of communism, because we viewed it as a zero-sum game, everybody really viewed it as a zero-sum game. You you can't even afford to have a small country like South Vietnam, who it's hard to to recognize their impact on the global stage in in the 1960s, 1950s, 1960s, and into the 70s. But that's it. It's a zero-sum game. And when they fall, it just continues this domino effect to where more and more countries are going to at least look towards the Soviet Union rather than the United States and Western democracies. So South Vietnam is important in that sense. Um, and as the civil war is raging, the United States is doing what they can originally to make sure that South Vietnam doesn't fail. And it creeps and it creeps and it creeps and it creeps. And, and we're going to have troops in Vietnam for quite a while In 1959, we've got 1959, 1960, we have just under 1,000. Now, that's not much compared to the almost 600,000 we'll have in 1968, but we're involved. And other countries are involved as well. We want to make sure that South Vietnam doesn't fall. We are providing military aid as needed, maybe intelligence, maybe weapons, maybe political support. But we start increasing those numbers over time. And the year 1965 is going to be a critical year in terms of the troop commitment in South Vietnam. Now, the jump from 1964 to 1965 numerically isn't the biggest. We go from 23,000 in 1964 to about 180,000 in 1965. So 160,000 troop increase in one year That's a lot. It's not as many as we'll see at at other stages in the war. I mean, just the next year, we're going to add 180,000, but that jump from 20 to 180, that's it. That signals that America is going to be on the ground fighting in direct action engagements with the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese military. We are getting to have such a presence in the country that advise and assist, if you will, is not really going to be front and center we are, maybe a way to say this is we've been patient and hoping that the South Vietnamese would would win this conflict on their own, but by 65, it looks like that's not going to happen. So the United States commits more manpower. One of the first units they send to Vietnam in 1965 is going to be the 173rd Airborne Brigade, the unit we're going to talk about today. Now, just take note, anytime you see in military history, somebody says something like the commander of the 173rd did, when they went to Vietnam and said, we hope to be home by Christmas. That's a bad sign. Um, in fact, let's see, he said, be back in Okinawa by Christmas when they arrived in Vietnam in May of 1965. Throughout history, anytime somebody says, be home by Christmas or "in the war by September, I, there's very, very few cases where that's the case. I just, one after the other, that ends up in the history books as look how wrong they were. Anyways, um, the commander of the 173rd says we'll be home by Christmas in May of 1965. Of course, they weren't. Now, something else that happened in 1965 that kind of changed the scope of the conflict is going to be something known as the Battle of the Idrang Valley. And for a war, Vietnam, that doesn't have... Well, it does have a lot of fixed-peace battles. It's not the right way to say it. The, the battle we're going to talk about today is not... Listed in the book not a named battle. It's not a named fight. It's just another day of fighting in Vietnam. But there are interspersed a handful of large scale battles. One of them is the Battle of the Idrang Valley. It's it's portrayed in the book We Were Soldiers Once and Young um, by Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore and, and a uh, reporter Joey Galloway, and then made it into the movie We Were Soldiers. That takes part. That takes place in November of 1965, and it's the first large scale operation first large-scale battle between conventional US, South, conventional U.S. and North Vietnamese forces. I think there were some South Vietnamese forces there as well, but um, the Battle of the Eye drying in 1965 is kind of this wake-up call to the United States and to the military that this is a fight. These guys are for real. We may have looked at it as, you know, home by Christmas, um, but here we are a month from Christmas and America suffers five hundred thousand, or excuse me, suffers five hundred casualties during the battle of five hundred killed during the battle of the Idrang Valley. So this enemy that we're going to topple real quick in a country that a lot of people can't find on a map just killed five hundred Americans. Maybe this fight's going to rage on a little longer than expected, and you start to see more and more troops come into the country because the the strategy we're going to pursue at the time is one of attrition. We're going to bring more and more troops in. We're going to conduct operations known as search and destroy. We're going to go find the enemy. We're going to kill them. And we're going to whittle them down until they can't function anymore and threaten South Vietnam. So things like the battle of the I dragon 65 are going to be leading reasons for the continued troop buildup after 65. But by the early part of 1966, the 173rd airborne brigade is in Vietnam. They were not home by Christmas, unfortunately. And in June of that year, Sergeant Charles Morris, Staff Sergeant Charles Morris is with his unit as they head out on a search and destroy mission just a standard patrol in the jungle. And this is what I was getting at a few minutes ago where, you know, more, especially in the Pacific theater of the second world war, you can kind of wrap your head around a specific battle. Even if a battle were to take five or six weeks on an Island or two months, you could still say that was during the battle of Okinawa or that happened during Iwo Jima or the battle of Midway, the European theater of operations was a little bit different because there was, you know, you've got the battle of Normandy that took, you know, over a month. That was the, the, the clearance of after, after D-Day, but you still can kind of dive in and say, this action happened during this battle or this offensive or this phase. That's not the case in Vietnam because of this search and destroy type warfare that we're pursuing and the attrition style, um, strategy, we've got soldiers and Marines going out into the bush and taking or taking part in regular fierce combat, close quarters combat. And it's not part of an operation. It's just a Tuesday. And that makes it hard to tell the story of Vietnam. We see something similar with the current wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think that's one of the reasons why some conflicts lend themselves to more movies, more knowledge, more, um, more space in our history books. It's pretty easy. All things considered to tell the the history of the second world war. It's really hard to tell the story of the Vietnam war. And this is one of the reasons when Staff Sergeant Morris and his guys run out into the bush, it's not some, major operation in the history of the American military, it's, you know, it's a random day. It's June 29th, 1966. There's, there's, but that date of course would end up being quite the day for, for Morris and quite a few of the guys in his platoon. So the platoon of 45 heads out on this, on this mission. And Morris is a squad leader and recognizes at a certain point that they're moving into an area that is likely to hold enemy position. So he stops his guy, stops the platoon um, and moves out to recon the area ahead by himself. As he's moving ahead, he comes across, well, he comes across an enemy machine gun position at 20 yards, 20 meters. And the reason he knows that is because they open fire and 20 meters is uh, well within the range that you want to find yourself of an enemy machine gun position. That is so close that you don't hear or see anything before it kills you. Luckily for uh, Morris, he's wounded, wounded in the chest. Luckily, as as opposed to being killed outright, wounded in the chest, um, but, but promptly counterattacks, destroys the enemy in the machine gun position, and makes his way back to friendly lines, or their friendly position, not necessarily friendly lines, to tell his platoon leader, hey, this is what I saw when I was out there. We're getting ready to head into some some stuff here. Right then, the jungle erupts. And turns out there's a pretty sizable enemy force that was maybe not waiting for them, but they were there. And this is the nature of these search and destroy missions. It's sometimes the Americans catch the North Vietnamese or the Viet Cong and they they kill a lot of them. Other times it's the other way around. It's it's a nasty deadly way of conducting warfare that went on for years. And in this case, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong have the upper hand over the American unit. Fire starts raining down from every direction and quickly wounds and kills a fair number of soldiers in Morris's unit. Now this becomes a problem, of course, right? Anytime you take casualties, it's a problem, but there's 45 of them. And let's say it takes, one person to move a casualty, that's a big ask to drag, you know, 150, 180 pounds of dead weight through jungle. One person to move a casualty is asking a lot. That's a really challenging thing to do. But if you have, so if you have 45 men and 10 are wounded, let's say, then it's not 10 out of the fight. It's 20 out of the fight because you have 10 more. They have to move them out. So you say, well, 10 out of 45, there's still 35 guys to fight. Now that number reduces. And as that number of wounded gets larger, and then there's some that are killed. Next thing you know, you have more people carrying and treating wounded than you do fighting, which doesn't work when you're still in the middle of a deadly firefight, which is what's going to happen here with Staff Sergeant Morris for eight hours. Now, they could move. They could get up and fall back, get out of this deadly kill zone. But they don't have the manpower to move their wounded. So they can take off. But if they do, many of the wounded will likely be executed on the battlefield. It's common. Um, They won't recover their dead. And they'll have to come back later and hopefully, who who knows, you know, retrieve as best they can their fallen comrades. So instead, Morris and his platoon decide to dig in. Despite the overwhelming enemy odds, they're going to dig in and they're going to fight while they wait for reinforcements, which they've called upon very quickly. Now, as the fight is raging, Morris, remember, he's already wounded, shot in the chest, but the medic was one of the first people killed as this engagement kicked off. So there's, you know, Morris refuses to let anybody else treat him, treats his own wound and starts moving the perimeter, repositioning his guys, not knowing at the time that they're in for an eight hour fight. And that's important. It's, you know, it's just like anything challenging that you do. Think of anything that's physically demanding. And when you know that you've only got 30 minutes to hold on, that's different than if it's an unknown period of time, there's no countdown. And every minute is deadly during this fight on June 29th, 1966. So Morris is repositioning his guys around, around this small perimeter. It's not very big. And he's, Every opportunity he has, he's moving around to take the wounded and consolidate them into a more defensible position to treat the wounded, to update their bandages. If the guy can, putting them back in the line to help hold off this charging enemy attack. Now, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong would do their absolute best to overrun an American position and often were, maybe not often is the right word, but they were successful in this more than once. So, The attack continues for hours. Morris is wounded again and again and again, ends up at the end of the day being wounded four times. One of those wounds is a grenade that just mangles one of his hands. So later in the fight, as he sees an enemy machine gun position moving around the rear of his platoon's position, he goes to engage them, but he can only fight by firing his rifle with one hand. Nonetheless, he destroys the machine gun position, knocks it out, and continues to... I think the best way to describe it is provide motivation and inspiration to his guys to hold on. Remember we can look back and tell you how long it took for reinforcements to come, which I saw a, a number that was five hours and a number that's eight hours. Um, let's take five, I guess that's horrible. They have to hold on crawling the entire time was one of the reports. The fire was so deadly at, at chest and head level that they had to crawl nonstop for hours on end. Um, and again, nobody knows how long this fight's going to be going and if they're going to hold out for four hours and then be overrun. So one of Morris's, one of the things he's, he's credited with is keeping the motivation up, keeping his guys inspired to keep fighting and, uh, and defend their brothers that are wounded in the middle of this encampment. Eventually, reinforcements arrive. They push the, in, in enough numbers to be able to stop the attack. At which point there's reports of, of guys trying to get Morris into a, a medical, to the, into the medevac bird and more, saying, we'll carry you. And he says, I've been crawling for hours on end. I'll just crawl to the bird. He, he does so. Gets himself on the aircraft. Gets evacuated. Now, at this point, the fight's over. So he doesn't leave until the fight's over. But at this point, the platoon started with 45. By the time reinforcements arrive and in the fight, there are nine nine out of 45 that can still fight, that are still able to hold their weapon, fire in the enemy lines and hold back their attack. Nine out of 45. That, that is a devastating casualty number. So we're talking earlier, how, how do you move 10 casualties if you have 45 men? Well, what do you do when you have 36 casualties and nine that are capable of, of moving the battlefield? You see, so they're they're stuck. But... Of that number, 10 were killed, which means that if Morris and his men had decided right out the gate, we're not going to be able to hold this line, we need to retreat. That number would have been substantially higher. I mean, 20s, 30s, at least probably of Americans killed on the battlefield that day. For his actions, Staff Sergeant Charles Morris would be awarded the Medal of Honor in December of 1967. So he'd survive the war. He would go on to serve in the Army until 1981, retiring as a Sergeant Major and would pass away at the age of 64 in 1996. But pretty cool story. Staff Sergeant Charles Morris holding the line to make sure the wounded soldiers were able to be evacuated from the battlefield once reinforcements arrived during a deadly hours-long fight in the jungles of Vietnam. And in turn, awarded the Medal of Honor.